Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today we're going to be talking about cryptocurrency for the wine industry. And our guests are Jeff Andrews, managing partner at Andrew Family Vineyards, and Ray McKee, winemaker at Troth. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. We appreciate you guys joining us. Thank you. We're, we're really excited to be here and we're looking forward to talking to you about cryptocurrency today. Awesome. Well, Jeff, I was wondering if you and Ray can each give us a brief overview of yourselves as well as Andrew Family Vineyards and its relationship to Trove, just to give us some background. Maybe Jeff, you can start first. Sure, absolutely. So I'm a fourth generation farmer in the Horse Seven Hills on land that my great grandfather broke from sagebrush back in the early 1940s. But growing up out here, I didn't recognize maybe at the time how special and unique the place was. And wine grapes were a small part of our operation as I was growing up. So the family planted our first wine grapes in 1980, something my granddad did partnering with one of my uncles. And my dad planted the grapes we now farm in 1994. But as I was growing up, graduating high school, it was a small part of the operation. In my mind, I was off to bigger and better things. So I went to Washington State University. And then I also went to Seattle University School of Law. And I was at that time sort of following the path of one of my uncles who he was a lawyer at a large firm in Seattle. And I liked what he was doing. But he would pull me aside at pretty much every family gathering and tell me, you know what, Jeff, you're you're on the wrong path here. You should really be planning to go back to the farm. If I could do it all over again, I'd go back to the Horse Seven Hills because there's just something unique about that place. And about the second year of law school, as I was sitting in the office the size of a shoebox typing memos for attorneys at this uh, corporation I was interning at, kind of dawned on me, oh man, Uncle Mel is right. I, uh, I need to do something different with my life, something that connects with nature. And coming back to a farm was a big part of my way to do that. So over the years, we've grown quite a bit. We went from, as I mentioned, wine grapes being a small part of our operation to being fully integrated into wine grapes. So my dad and I farm today 1,300 acres of wine grapes. And for people who haven't seen the Horse Seven Hills or what it looks like, I mean, if you envision just like swaths of wine grapes over a vast flat plain, that's not what we have here. This would be probably more like 10 individual sites maybe that are all very close together and every one has its own unique terroir and climate, microclimate, soil types, all those kinds of things. So that's what we do here. And that's Andrew's Family Vineyards. So several years into being back, I began to realize that we were doing a great job with wine grapes and we were watching our customers just have a lot of success, earning lots of uh, awards, accolades, their businesses were growing. And as I looked at that, I thought, well, we can continue to do what we're doing and our success can rise and fall with the success of those winery customers. Or we can chart our own course, start our own winery. We knew we had world-class grapes. If we collaborated with a winemaker like Ray here, who we knew could make incredible wines, we wanted to see you know, what the end result would be. And Troth is the end result. And we feel like we've got a wine that's just competes with any wine in the world. And so Andrew's Family Vineyards is the exclusive source for the wines for Troth. And Troth is our label. I got to ask, did you finish the law degree? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I'm licensed to practice in Washington. Early on, I had the occasional customer on the side, but ultimately decided it was best just to focus on what we're doing here. 
Awesome. So it sounds like Ray is a big part of Trove. Ray, I was wondering if you can give us a little bit about your background and what was so exciting about the Trove project. You bet, Robert. I've been a winemaker in Washington my entire career, and I am a second-generation winemaker. My parents moved to Washington in 1987 after spending a couple of our family vacations learning about it and falling in love with it and picking out a piece of ground in the Yakima Valley. And so my high school chores were racking barrels, bottling weekends, etc. So I, like Jeff, immediately left for college to never return, right? (laughs) So I found myself, I have a love of science and chemistry, Gonzaga University, realizing, again, you don't really appreciate what it is you have until you don't have it there. I realized I needed to be in the vineyard, in the winery at home. I guess our home, I love the Yakima Valley. So I, after college, I came back and started interning at a couple wineries. I worked for my parents as well. And just had luckily been doing it for so long that even as I started in 1994, I had four vintages of experience behind me, the unpaid child labor help. (laughs) It's been amazing career for me. It's 29 vintages this year in Washington, one overseas in Australia, and I couldn't imagine making wine anywhere else. Along the way, I worked with a lot of great winemakers mentoring, gaining the experience that they had already had. Jeff and I actually, we bumped into a winemaker named Mike Janik. He's one of our amazing pioneers for wine over at his winery, and we were chit-chatting, and I was able to share some stories about the wines he'd made at a winery I worked at a few years after he had moved on in the late 80s. I got to drink a whole bunch of Mike Janik's cabs he made from 83, 84, 85, 86, because they were tucked in the back of this warehouse of the winery that I ended up working at in 1997. But anyways, I worked small wineries and large wineries. I was the red winemaker for Chateau Saint-Michel for 10 vintages, and then really consciously decided to downsize, if you will, get back to what I felt my roots were, and that is making my own wine with my own hands. And so with the love and support of my amazing family, I jumped without any parachute or anything else. Almost immediately at that time, Jeff reached out with the concept of Troth, which is taking the best blocks of grapes from Andrew's family vineyards and making a wine, I guess, with every attention to detail put into it with no budget constraints, although we're budget conscious, but doing every single thing you would do if you said, I do everything to make a great wine. And that's how we started. That was our first conversation. And now we're three years later at our release, a couple of vintages in the barrel. That's, That's really how we got here. There's always steps in the vineyard and winery that every winemaker or wine grower knows they should take, but for some reason, maybe they can't, right? And so throw one of our core principles in the production of it from vineyard through the end result is do everything you say you're going to do when you're going to do it. So you get the result you're looking for. Basically, no excuses. Exactly. That's exactly right. There's a budget or a previous process or... Something of that nature. With the launch of the Troth brand, you decided to accept cryptocurrency as payment. A first for a Washington State winery. What drove you guys to make that decision? Yeah, so Ray and I are both, I guess you could call us crypto enthusiasts. So you're already billionaires? Well, if only we <laughs> on Dogecoin you know, a little sooner, right? No, no, not yet. <laughs> 
But I first heard about Bitcoin, I want to say 2012, 2013. And like most people who the first time they hear about it, I kind of laughed about it a little bit. And what are these people thinking, right? But around 2016, 2017, kind of came up on my radar again, started looking into it a little more. And I got out my calculator and I said, boy, if I had just put this much in when I first heard about it, maybe I wouldn't be that crypto billionaire you mentioned, right? So Started investing just a little bit for fun, but also I've always been interested in technology. So I built four mining rigs and in the lab that we use for wine grapes during harvest, our our lab, I put our four mining rigs in there and I spent a year mining Ethereum. And that was a pretty fun process. Ultimately, I ended that for a couple of reasons. As you mine, the calculations become progressively more difficult. So the hardware can't continue to earn the same results. That was one. Also, one of the rigs about a year in had a little mini meltdown and I kind of decided it wasn't worth burning down my lab and shop for that. So I stopped doing that, but it was an awesome experience. And I've been really interested in crypto ever since. So I guess you could call me a true believer. Did those rigs put out a lot of excess heat? that you would have to deal with in the lab and in the winery? Absolutely. So they put out a lot more heat than I thought they would for four little rigs with, I think they each had five graphics cards on them. They were running really hot, but our lab is temperature controlled. So it had its own, basically a mini split system in there. And so I could set the temp and it regulated the temperature pretty nicely. We have very hot summers here. So that combined with the heat in August, it was a little bit of an issue, but overall it worked out pretty well. I'm sure you saw a noticeable spike in your electricity bill as well. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so to get back to the core of your question, though, as we launched Trove, why did we decide to do this in terms of accepting cryptocurrency? I think that there is a lot of future in cryptocurrency. With it, I think you have different segments of people who are interested in it. You've got the people who they want to get away from government issued fiat money. That might be a little more idealistic than where I'm at with it. But for me, I think it offers benefits to people who want to make very secure transactions online, probably more secure than your credit card, right? If you think about perhaps over the years when you've made credit card purchases online and eventually your credit card numbers leak, somebody gets that number and you've got to get a new card issued, reset that up. I don't think that's going to happen with cryptocurrency. This is very secure. If you keep your wallets, private keys, private, don't share those with anybody, the chances of a transaction going wrong are pretty slim. So the main benefit to consumers is security of transaction. Is that what you're saying, Jeff? I think that's probably one of the main benefits at this point. I think another one that Ray can expound upon a little bit is authenticity. Authenticity of the wine is probably guaranteed, I would say, if they purchase with cryptocurrency. I don't know if you want to add a little bit to that. Yes, I think using Crypto, which is based on the blockchain, provides you with unalterable provenance of ownership of a wine, date of purchase, etc. And this is very important for collectible wines like Trove. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'll add one more thing. I think that can be taken another step from a customer, like Ray said, who purchases with crypto. They've got that record. If they do want to sell that wine later, they know it's authentic and the purchaser knows it's authentic. But if we took it a step further to say NFTs, we could link each bottle of Trode to an NFT on its own blockchain, right? And we could Mm -hmm. thereby guarantee its authenticity forever as it's attached to that NFT. And are you actually putting anything on the bottles that would do that? We have. Yes, we have individual and unique identifiers with some holograms built into them and their unique number identities. 
which would allow us to easily tag to an NFT on the blockchain. It's one of our, don't tell the customers quite yet, it's one of the surprises we're going to open up to them in a bit here. It's a quite a bit of research and learnings to understand and get the infrastructure for these done. But getting them linked to an NFT further provides almost bulletproof provenance and ownership. And then also allows us as the creator to see where our wines are going in the world. And so just to clarify, we don't have them linked to NFTs at this time, but that we're working on that. And are you using a specific vendor to put those holograms on the bottles? So those holograms are are custom made. We do have a vendor for that. And I'd have to actually look them up. So can't give you the name of that off the top of my head. Okay. We've interviewed for the podcast before Maureen Downey, and she has that Chai Vault or Shea Vault, I should say, puts a like an NFT on the blockchain on the capsule and then i didn't know if proof tag has like the little hologram and other things but i didn't know if that was the same if they could do blockchain yeah we did talk to proof tag along with a couple of others but ultimately we decided for the first vintage to just create a custom hologram that really can't be copied and then each bottle is individually numbered but love the authentication and the secure payment through crypto what are the benefits for you guys obviously that there's extra work in there versus the typical wine release. So what is the benefit for you as a brand? I think really the benefit is we get to add on and do something that we're both interested in and enjoy and actually do love. I mean, I love the concept of crypto. Its future is wide open. And and a lot of the things that we do for our customers are things that we like to do. Having crypto, the ability to purchase with cryptocurrency was a given from the beginning, wasn't even a discussion point at all. Like, what barrels do you want to use, Ray? I know exactly what I'm using. We're accepting crypto? Heck yes, we are. So, I mean, really the benefit is if someone purchases with crypto, we get more crypto. (laughs) (laughs) And we get to connect with customers who share the same interest. And that's good for both of us. So does it open you up to a new type of customer that you wouldn't normally be able to reach otherwise? Is it, I mean, because I got to assume like cryptocurrency enthusiasts find each other out in the world, just like other people who are into other things. I'm just curious on, does this open up a new audience for you? I think there's definitely potential for that. Potential for either a new audience or a stronger connection with someone who might've bought anyway, but now they can go, okay, we share this common interest. And so because a big part of Troth is connecting with our customers as much as possible, providing good experiences and getting to know each other anytime we can meet them on the same playing field with a common interest is, is a great way to do it. Are you selling Troth only on Ethereum or are you doing it on multiple currencies? Currently multiple currencies. We are accepting Bitcoin and Ethereum. We're looking at Doge. Our provider or platform didn't originally offer that, but I believe they do now. So we're looking at adding that as well. And are you using a fixed kind of Ethereum price? And are you adjusting the price based on the fluctuations of the currency based on the US current US dollar equivalent? Yeah, what you're getting at here is extremely important to making a crypto purchase. There are not a lot of things out there like crypto that can change in a millisecond at these percentages, right? So people who are going to engage in these kind of transactions, of course, need to understand that. They need to be comfortable with that. On the one level, a fraction of an Ethereum that they're using to buy our three pack for 570 today, that has an equivalent value. An hour from now, 
maybe they really scored because <laughs> the price of that fraction has dropped 30% or it's gone up 30%. So that's one side of it. And then just more directly to your question. So we use Coinbase Commerce for our cryptocurrency platform. And they allow us to put upper and lower bounds on a transaction. And so that kind of accounts for those fluctuations you're talking about. So someone who wants to make a purchase probably shouldn't do it on a day where crypto is on a big tear one way or the other. But you get a relatively normal, if there is one day, to make the purchase and they can know that they're not going to vastly overpay because we've got that upper limit on there. We know they're not going to vastly underpay because we have that lower limit. The risk with that is the transaction could fail because it could be outside of those bounds. If it fails, then you just attempt it again. Yeah, it protects our customers from those nanosecond fluctuations that occur. I mean, I often see my home computer is fairly slow with a poor ping rate, and I live in the country, you understand? So often the actual rate is not even communicated to my computer fast enough for me to stay in real time. So this is what it does. It protects our customers. Got it. So flipping that back onto the business side. So what is Tro's plan for the crypto? So say I purchase in Ethereum and you get X fraction of Ethereum, whatever. Are you planning on holding that? And if so, that changes your business model quite a bit because you're going to be sitting on an asset that you're not necessarily liquidating. Or are you immediately trying to convert that out to run the business with actual dollars in the and operating costs. Like, how do you guys operationalize that intake of crypto? Yeah, that's a great question. I say the simple answer is it's called diamond hands. You got to hold. You have to have the stomach for the fluctuations in what the crypto markets do. That's a big part of it. For us, for Andrew's Family Vineyards, Tro at this point is an important but small part of the operation. So we also don't believe we're going to have even 50% of our sales in crypto. It'd be awesome if we did. We'd love to connect with that many crypto enthusiasts, but we realize it's going to be a small number. So the dollars we're talking or the bits of Ethereum or Bitcoin we're talking are not going to be big enough that's going to have a significant operational impact at this point. And the plan is really to hold at this point. Yep, hold them as best. If you think about the fluctuation in the dollar and you lament the wine you bought 20 years ago and what the price is now, it's like that just happens on a much faster pace. So are there tax implications for you or the customers for buying the wine with crypto? Because my limited, albeit, understanding of crypto transactions is it's like buying another asset. If you buy it at a dollar and you sell it for $10, then you owe capital gains tax of $9 to the federal government and state government, if that's applicable. And then would that $10 be your cost basis for it? I just, I'm not super clear on how that works yet with all the regulations and taxes. Sure. I don't know if anybody is. So the first, <laughs> uh, the first thing I would say is never accept tax advice from a wine grower and a winemaker on a podcast, right? <laughs> so that's, let's get that out of the way first. But my understanding is cryptocurrency is treated more like property. So if I go purchase some cryptocurrency, I've established my basis in it. Now, if I go use or sell that cryptocurrency, just like you said, if the values change, I may have a gain. And depending on how long I've held that cryptocurrency, it's either an ordinary income gain or it's a capital gain. And again, that's something to talk to a tax professional about. Now, the way I understand as well, we engage in a transaction with a customer. We don't take on any of their tax liability, but now we're establishing our basis in the cryptocurrency. And so when we move forward and we either use it to purchase something for the business or if we ultimately sell it, that's when our tax liability comes into play. Got it. And the Coinbase commerce would track all those transactions and the value that it transacted at? 
Yes. So like on a personal level, I've used cryptocurrency a few times and I've got spreadsheets, right? To track where everything is at, even just transferring. So if I buy some cryptocurrency Y with cryptocurrency X to do that is a taxable transaction as I understand it. So sometimes you have to buy Bitcoin to buy another cryptocurrency just because of the way certain exchanges work. And so there's little taxable transactions all along the way. You've got to have spreadsheets to track it and you sure as heck better report all that to the IRS because they're not messing around. So it does get kind of complex on the tax side. And it's very important to keep track of everything that you're doing. When you take your basis of the crypto, that's at the retail value that you had sold the wine at, right? And so I'm just curious on how you factor in margins then. What it costs you to make the wine is less than what you're obviously selling it for. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a business, right? So I'm just curious on, you do put the basis at what you sold it at. So that's just, you're just transferring that into that other asset, right? That is an awesomely detailed question that I don't think I'm equipped to answer right now. That is one where I would absolutely go to my accountant and say, this is what we did. Now let's make sure we get all the tax consequences. I think also is we're still early in Mm -hmm. cryptocurrency and its uses, and we don't yet have the interface that makes it easy and simple for every user that's out there. But those things are coming. And along with that infrastructure, the answers to these types of questions will be built right into them. Right. Makes sense. Taxable transactions, actual value versus asset purchase price, et cetera. So one reason you mentioned accepting crypto is to start to explore blockchain. I'm curious on other uses that you think blockchain could add value to a winery or a wine brand going forward. Like how how else, now that you've started playing with it and started implementing it, what else do you think it's useful for in the wine space? Yeah, I think that bulletproof provenance and ownership, we're still just barely exploring it. And as we mentioned a little bit, you know, a little bit of a teaser building in the NFT, which exists on the blockchain into the identity of Troth in every bottle that's sold, that is perfect provenance. It becomes quite easy for collectible items to prove ownership, location, purchase date, transfer of those properties. The space using NFT is still, it's very new. The shine's not even off of it. But what is happening out there is in the NFT world is really exciting. I jumped in a little bit in a couple different ways. I own a few. There's a a gentleman named Gary Vaynerchuk who launched a massive NFT project. And I went full in on it. I own a couple of V friends and just learning how someone like that is, he's really pushing the boundaries out there has taught us a lot. So on the wine side, it's very easy for us to put a value on an NFT because we have a physical asset to go with it. So the value of our brand as it increases through time, the quality of the wines, et cetera, are they have you exist so we don't need to build up the image of what we're creating it's it exists already that makes sense you ever thought about i always think of like chateau mouton rothschild how they have a unique label every year have you ever thought about like and if you have a fairly limited production i would assume that that label could also be somewhat collectible if you start to put that out as a nft as well i'm just wondering if those are some of the things that were you guys were thinking of as well in terms of how to make each release somewhat unique from the previous release outside of it being obviously a different vintage. Oh, yes. It's because you are connecting your physical asset perfectly to a digital asset and expression. It is 
a lot easier to digitally create uniqueness, right? Versus getting a new label produced or tying it to an artist and getting it printed and making sure it looks beautiful. Those are exactly the kinds of ideas that we're tossing around constantly as we define what we're going to do with our NFTs for Tro. There's so much that you can do. I mean, they don't even really know yet all of what we can do, except that it is going to add value to what we do. And it is basically perfectly secure, which is awesome in my opinion. So back to the operations of how you actually accept crypto. You mentioned you have Coinbase Commerce. Is it, I assume you have another wine e-commerce platform that Coinbase plugs into. Is Which e-commerce platform are you using? Yeah, we use VineSpring. And okay. unfortunately, they're not quite ready for integration of crypto into their platform. But the solution is if one of our customers wants to purchase with cryptocurrency, they can send us an email and let us know. We can use Coinbase Commerce to create a secure link to an invoice, send that out to them. That invoice has the address they can send their cryptocurrency to. It also has a QR code on it. So if they're using their smartphone, they can just scan it. And that way they got the correct address and know everything's secure. Okay, so you have basically like two parallel paths to purchase and they have to email you, call you to do a crypto purchase. That's right. And unfortunately, I guess that's part of being an early adopter is not every platform is ready to integrate. Hopefully they will be in the near future, but that's where we're at for right now. So from a marketing perspective, how has accepting crypto benefited the awareness of Troth besides being on this podcast, of course? That's exactly what I was going to say. We get to be on the next chateau and what could be better. So <laughs> we're, we're pretty thrilled about that. We've got a lot of positive feedback through our social media channels, positive emails. That's been really great. So we know that people have heard about it. I think that we're still really early in this process, though. Our wine's only been available for about a month. It's not very long for news to sink in about how we're accepting payment or even that it's out there. So as we continue to get out into the world and talk to people like you, we'll get the word out. And I think that, like we've mentioned, just the fact that we accept it gives us one more way to connect with a subset of customers who are interested in it as well. Yes, I think it's the marketing bonus we're getting is really just a side effect of doing something that we like that's really customer focused. We wanted to do crypto anyways, and our customers who are going to use it, it's a benefit for them, another avenue for them to reach it. And that we were the first to do it was kind of a surprise, but like, okay, that's awesome. And then we get to speak to you, Peter and Robert about it. That's awesome too. So it's like just a extra goodness we're getting and being able to release a news release that when we realized we were first in Washington, at least, wow, that's, that's very cool. It's just added benefit of doing something good for our customers. With a month out, have you had much traction on the crypto side? Like, has it been a large part of sales or, or a small part of sales so far? We're hoping you two will be the first. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for our first crypto customer. So, and that goes back to getting the word out and hitting the right people with the information. So hopefully talking to you will help because I think you've got the right demographic in your audience that there's going to be people out there who are interested in this and potentially could decide to purchase with cryptocurrency. And we'll just continue to talk about it uh, everywhere we are and, and we'll find those customers. And we are still right. early and our real game plan was to be customer centric and how we are available as wines and 
So we, we don't have a tasting room because it's really not as customer centric as you reaching out directly to your customers available through tastings now, especially when the lockdown and the world closed down, you could not reach anyone through your tasting room. And so we learned a lot about how to be better at customer service because of COVID. And that really made it quite clear that for us, a tasting room doesn't have any extra benefit considering a lot of our customers are around the globe, not based in Ross or even in Seattle to come and drive over and taste the wines. So are you aware of any other wineries accepting crypto as payment? And if so, did you collaborate with them on how to take it or anything like that? The only winery I'm aware of is the Mondavi Sisters with their Dark Matter and Aloft wines. And I believe that they just started accepting cryptocurrency not long before us, Mm -hmm. sometime this year. I know I saw at least one or two articles that mentioned them. In fact, I want to say the wine enthusiast maybe had a, a web article recently that discussed whether or not the wine industry was ready for cryptocurrency. And they talked to the Mondavi sisters about that. We have not talked to them about it. I think it's awesome that they're doing it. And I hope that more wineries will. So if other wineries wanted to start accepting crypto, what learnings would you like to share with them to help with the overall movement to making cryptocurrency commerce viable for the wine industry? I think your own education about crypto and blockchain is the first starting point. Knowing how to securely make transactions, how to securely purchase, securely sell the right platforms to use. And there are a lot of them out there. I believe PayPal is integrating crypto now. It's becoming a lot more common. And like we had mentioned earlier, within maybe a year or less, things move so fast out there. There's going to be some real breakthroughs in that user interface that we don't have right now. I think that's one of the biggest speed bumps is the user interface. You have to be very comfortable with technology and You also, like Ray said, you need to educate yourself on what cryptocurrency is and how it works so that a person can be comfortable making this new type of transaction. And there's a certain type of person that at this stage where cryptocurrency is at, they're willing to do that. There's a lot of people that if it's not simple, they're not going to do it. That's fine. It'll get more simple as time goes on and technologies improve. It's never too early to to start adapting to these things because it is becoming a lot more ubiquitous even before the demand of the end user is there. That's exactly right. And that was going to be my next statement, advice to somebody who wants to get into it. There's no reason not to start now. Learn it, implement it. Maybe you'll get some customers, maybe you won't, but at least you're starting to learn about it so that it does become more readily available and more readily used. You're ready for it. Okay, there's a lot of interesting things. I'm looking forward to checking back in with you guys to see how it's going because the space moves so quickly. I am curious, though, as we start to wrap up the episode, I'm wondering what if each of you have like a takeaway or a thing that you're most excited for. Obviously, the world's kind of opening back up now. What are you most excited about for the wine industry in 2021? I'm most excited for just what you said, the world opening back up. I know that the Delta variant, COVID is... Maybe causing some concerns. Hopefully it doesn't become a bigger concern than it is right now. But for us, launching a wine brand over this last year has been very interesting and not necessarily what we expected because of all the restrictions of COVID. We focused very heavily on social media and internet marketing to try to get the word out 
And so being able to get in front of customers in person, talk to them face to face is something we're excited about. And then another thing that I think we're both really excited about is we were just in the vineyard this morning. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a stellar vintage. I mean, everything is looking beautiful. 2021 is going to rock. Oh, this is a, another special vintage. If you, there's a lot, we could spend another podcast about Washington wine if you guys want. There is a lot to love about Washington State and the high quality of vintage year after year after year after year is special. And we're coming into a really beautiful one. We have really concentrated berry size right now in a warm vintage. And if Mother Nature finishes the season out, she's the boss. Of course, we're so far along now, we're just staring at an absolutely gorgeous vintage. And the other neat thing we did this morning, too, is we went over there pouring the pad on the winery. So our winery will be coming online very soon. And I put my initials in there. I didn't tell you that. But <laughs> 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 so this coming year on the personal side. But also that the world is healing and opening and getting better. It feels so good. My kids are back in person school to finish out the year. That was very good. Sports are back. It's just very nice to see everything open back up as we get better. Those are some good things to look forward this year. I do have a bottle of wine. I am looking forward to trying it. I've been a little bit on the weather, so I haven't had a chance to open it yet. But I will definitely do that before this podcast airs. And it's something I know that Peter got a chance to try your bottle as well. So... Super excited to check it out. That's awesome. I'm glad you got one and hope you both enjoy it. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. We appreciate it and look forward to learning more about Troth and how cryptocurrency is working out in the coming year. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, Shame. cheers. Cheers.